Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we talk about the fiery birds of Australian lore. These aren't your grandma's crows. These are your ape shit Aussie arsonists. And then Brett gets in a pissing contest with the Nobel Prize when discussing the popular and hilarious sitcom that's all about local government and great blooper reels. We're talking about Parks and Rec. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Yeah. I'm going to dispense with the niceties and just assume you're doing fine. <laughs> I am doing pretty Is good. Is that a safe assumption? I'm doing great. Yeah, you just went skydiving today, didn't you? I did. Got four, four really awesome jumps Oh, in. man. Oh, my God. So, so jelly. Good. So good. So what else is new, man? Uh, Besides, oh, I have one thing. We're sitting in the same room together. We are. Yes. Yes. Like, think, let's touch fingertips. Uh, that's not COVID oh, safe. Okay. <laughs> I think this might be the second time ever that we have recorded an actual show in the same room. It is the second time yes. ever. Yeah. So you're welcome, listeners. So what's new, Brett? <sighs> Dude, I just want to talk about skydiving for a second. I'm totally addicted to that sport. Well, got, it is great. Got my friend to do a... Uh, Alex did a uh, tandem for the first time. She just did her first skydive. Came out, but uh, yeah, I ended on a good note of six-way with uh, JoJo, Pippa, Tiffany. Uh, John Braun was there. Probably shouldn't say his last name on the air, should I? Well, it's... Uh, Another guy just met i'm sure people that listen to the Jason. show know most of those people that's <laughs> yeah, true they're all dope that's Incredible cool man divers. yeah i'm uh i wish i could have joined you today but too. i had a pretty good day of chasing babies around and i went on like three one-wheel rides oh that's pretty so good it was good yeah yeah man got gotta combine action sports with raising children and what would this show be if we didn't have skydiving and one willing to inspire 90 percent of our conversation exactly <laughs> well, so um, I heard that your little baby dog got stung today by a bee or something. Yeah, Poor it's Mando. every time I every time I leave Bree alone with a dog, something <laughs> horrible happens. <laughs> she's not to be trusted, but luckily she doesn't listen to the show, show, so she won't know who said that. <laughs> I don't know. She said she liked the content <laughs> that I'm talking about tonight. It's her favorite piece of content, so she's probably going to listen to this episode. So let's just edit everything we just said out. Uh, I'd prefer if she knew what I thought about her parenting <laughs> skills. <laughs> It's good to bring her down a notch every once in a while. Totally. Sitting on her high horse over there. <laughs> so since I've been mainlining Wolf Creek content, which I talked about last week, the Australian horror movie series, horror film series, uh, I'm already kind of under the impression that everything in Australia wants to kill you. It's in- true. Including every off-puttingly friendly Bushman you meet. That's a Mick Taylor reference, uh, the greatest movie killer of all time. So... Of course, I'm being a little hyperbolic. It's not like I keep a fear journal or anything, Brett. That's more in uh, your vein. Filled with your tears. <laughs> yes. But uh, this thing I'm talking about today, it doesn't really help me lean in the other direction, like the way realism and logic would tell me to lean. You know, like like when you're traveling, like every place is basically the same after a while. You know, like most places seem kind of weird from afar, but then once you get there, once you get acclimated, you're like, oh, this is... You know, this is just like being back at home. Like humans are very adaptable. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I can't totally relate. Like, I feel like I go to places that don't feel familiar to me at all, like culturally. 
well, you've probably been to much crazier places than I have. You've been to like, what was it like the crazy like Aurora. robot <laughs> robot bar or something in Japan? Yeah. I mean, I would describe Japan as probably the most dissimilar to Western culture that you can get. Like it's like an alien foreign land for sure. But, but I, I see your point though. I mean, yeah, you like, could adapt, like you spend enough time there and you're like, oh, these are people just like me. They speak a different language. They have different cultural norms, but we're all cut from the same cloth. Exactly. <laughs> and I haven't done as much traveling as you have, but uh, like I've been to probably the the most non-American I've been is Dominica, which is in the Caribbean, which is just like this little tiny, tiny island out in the middle of the ocean with really no cultural influence from us you know it's like it's basically like its own little paradise and when i first got there it was very strange and i was like you know just the cars are different the houses everything is different it's like much more a more connected culture to nature but Mm -hmm. after being there for like three days like oh yeah i I get used to this yeah and so like that is kind of how i thought about being in other places until i learned about firehawk raptors what? <laughs> so Firehawk Raptor, I mean, that is quite possibly the most badass name for anything that I've ever heard. It's like uh, saying that is kind of like the vocal equivalent of like a 1980s heavy metal theme panel van. Yeah. It's just like, it just sounds awesome. Sounds like it would be on the cover of some awesome me- metal album. But uh, it's also, you know, I we've kind of like moved away from the space theme. But what I'm getting into today is maybe we'll get into a new theme of talking about weird things that animals do. I like this. That's where we were last week. I, I like this. So so this is a bird you're talking about. Yes. And as you know, Australia was on fire for most of the last year. It was. And the firefighters there have been dealing with this airborne threat. So the term firehawk raptor encompasses at least three species. There's the black kite, the whistling kite, and the brown falcon. And they are known to intentionally spread fires in an attempt to flush out prey animals. I have actually heard about this. It this is, is sounding familiar now. Absolutely <laughs> insane. So these birds, they'll congregate in groups of hundreds along these fire fronts. And uh, in this coordinated effort, they'll pick up smoldering branches. They'll transport them sometimes up to like a kilometer away because they're in Australia. They don't understand how miles work. <laughs> but... Uh, They'll drop them in these fire-free areas with the intent is to drive out animals that are hiding using fire and smoke. Unbelievable. I know. So how they have to pick up something that's already burning. So they're like, do they follow fires around then? Yeah. So they'll, they'll find, well, this is, this is kind of speculative. There's, there's no like video documentation of this, but it's been documented by the Aboriginal people for like 40,000 years. Uh Uh-huh. But um, what they're kind of the anecdotal story of what's happening is these birds will find like a fire front. And when there's a fire, typically like the prey animals flush out of that area and go into hiding somewhere. And since there's really only one way to go and there's a fire front, these birds will come down, they'll pick up smoldering twigs and things. They'll fly out, you know, away from the fire. They'll drop kindling that's burning. And then now you have two fire fronts. And so the prey animal is basically flushed to the inside. And then there's wow. like this feeding frenzy with hundreds of birds, just like swooping down and like picking up the field mice and ripping off their head. Oh my God. Eating their guts. <laughs> Why are you, these birds are already 
arsonists and pyromaniacs and you're making the you're making it even more violent well <laughs> that's nature buddy it is i know you've been kind of sheltered here in america you've never been <laughs> any place weird like japan or anything but sometimes animals rip off other animals heads i've seen it on on david attenborough documentaries <laughs> yes it's brutal so there was this 2017 study that looked into this phenomenon uh they found there was skepticism about this behavior and that's kind of actually hampered the effectiveness of planning by the Australian firefighters in, com- in combating this because the, the fire, the firehawk Raptors, they'll jump fire breaks and they just exacerbate the problem of the fires. But since it's like this skeptical thing, they're not really planning for the fires to travel like that. And, uh, like I said, you know, like this, this behavior has been documented for like 40,000 years by the Aboriginal tribes. But now that they're kind of looking into it, you know, there, there's a little bit of data coming out about it. And I found one video that it doesn't show the actual dropping of the kindling, but it shows a fire line. And then it's just like hundreds of birds swooping down. You can tell they're hunting like specifically along this fire break. It is pretty incredible. And it's very scary. So the inspiration for this study came from, uh, it was a passage in this 1964 autobiography of an indigenous doctor and activist, Philip Waipuldanya Roberts. I think I nailed that name. Yeah, nailed it. So he said, uh, I've seen a hawk pick up a smoldering stick in its claws and drop it into a fresh patch of dry grass half a mile away, then wait with its mates for the mad exodus of scorched and frightened rodents and reptiles. (laughs) Oh my God. So these researchers decided that this is an intentional behavior and it's a new, a new force there's, of nature that causes the spread of wildfires yeah, there's in Australia. There's no way it's not uh, like it's unintentional. Like a bird picking up a burning stick is definitely intentional. Yes. <laughs> like there's no way it would like, oh shit, is this thing burning? No, yeah. There's yeah, no way. It's And you know, they're not starting fires from scratch, but right, right. they are using fire as a tool. And you know, they found like, ravens have been known to use tools and to you know like create reflective like grab reflective items and use it as like kind of like a way to like draw attention or something or like long sticks as to like pick objects up there was there's some documentary video i think i saw it on youtube though but they were like had to get a key out of a jar or something and they were like finding the right size sticks and the right but, you know, they would, it was through trial and error. They'd try this stick and it wasn't the right shape. And they'd go like very smart creatures. The yeah. crows, very terrifying. It's fascinating. Like think about animals using tools, you know, it's like, like octopi will use like little pieces of coral and things to dislodge stuff. Yeah. And they can like change their body to manipulate objects. I feel, I feel bad about this, but I, I ate one once and it was like, it's like a South Korean like delicacy dish. And uh, let's see, I was in, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember the name of the place. Some crazy place like Japan? Uh, Well, no, I mean, it was in, it was in South Korea, but uh, what's what's the big, Seoul? Well, I I didn't travel to Seoul, but I just took a train to Seoul. But I found this restaurant that serves this that I'd heard about. And they basically just take an octopus and they chop it up. And oh my it's, god! It's still moving when you're eating it, and it you know you see it squirming on your plate, and you could like feel it squirming in your mouth. And I mean, it's it's appendages were chopped up, <laughs> but the the tip that I got from my half Korean friend is he said you have to chew it up a lot. 
uh, <laughs> because you have to murder it with your mouth. It'll it'll uh, the suctions will still be activated, and it'll it it happened to him when he was a kid in Korea. It, it suctioned in his throat. Oh and he almost man. choked. And he said a couple people every year in South Korea will die from eating this particular dish because it'll just get lodged in their throat. Is that like part of the thrill of eating it? Like uh, maybe I don't. It's know. like eating like the puffer fish. What is it? Kufu. Yeah, I, where it's like part of the thrill is that oh, you might die. Like this octopus may kill me from beyond the grave. I mean, I like sushi, and this is like the rawest sushi you can get. But when I, the more I learn about octopi, the more guilt I feel. Well, when I've when I first started learning how smart octopi are, yeah, I like. I pretty much just stopped eating them all together. Like <laughs> I won't even eat calamari. I don't even know if that's octopus, but I don't even want to take the chance because I, I really feel like if there is another species on this planet that is of a similar intellect to us, it would be obviously something in the ocean. And I think octopi is a very good candidate for that. I mean, they talk about how smart dolphins are, Yeah, but octopi well, I mean, are dolphin. also, they, they demonstrate a lot of the same problem solving skills that dolphins show. Yeah. I, you know, somebody, if we should just stop, <clears throat> stop eating animals entirely, just write to no, us. No, Brett, no, <laughs> no, just octopi. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, next time you're over there, try not to get suctioned to death. We need your sweet, dulcet sweet. tones for this show. Sweet, sweet existence. But yeah, thinking about animals using tools, fire is such a decidedly human tool. You know, and that's one of the things that I've heard posited about, like, why if there are intelligent creatures in the ocean, why they haven't progressed the same way that man has, because they don't have access to fire and they don't have a way to change material states. Oh, interesting. So thinking about an animal like a bird using fire is very impressive, really kind of makes me, you know, kind of question my own cleverness as a tool user. But then I thought, like, show me a bird that make a podcast, and then I'll be impressed. <laughs> I would listen to that podcast. You for and sure. I <laughs> both know how hard it is to make a podcast, right? I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, do you think other animals are on the same evolutionary path to becoming more intelligent, more complex, or do you think there's barriers in place? Like, I, I, I believe primates are continuing to evolve in the same way that we did. But I don't, there's got to be some like restrictions on like the size of a brain of a bird. I'm not sure. I, I haven't really I thought know. about barriers in place. I've heard that there is like a body to brain ratio that yeah. determines like how far intellect will go, and like humans just kind of fall perfectly into that into that Venn diagram of yeah. weight versus brain size. And it's why like when you think about like a a whale, like just because they have a bigger brain doesn't necessarily mean they're more intelligent. Right. I mean, birds have tiny brains and they're super intelligent. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't have anything to do with it completely, but I don't think there's anything particularly special about primates per se. I think that with the right conditions, you know, there are, there are probably several species that could follow a similar evolutionary path, but I'm a contentologist, not a scienceologist. So that's obvious. Yeah, clearly, because <laughs> I sound like an idiot right now, don't I? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, that is something. Oh, oh, knocking God. everything over on the desk. <laughs> this is what happened when. This is what happens when Brett shows up. I get all, all nervous. Flutter. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's what I want to tell you. Like, I found I have a whole list of off-top things, and this was 
one of the most fascinating things that have come across in the last couple of weeks. So birds using fire, firehawk raptors. Uh, we'll share, amazing. I'll share a link where I got this information and we'll share that video. This is great because this my wife already told me she's going to listen to this episode. She's not really a fan of the show, but she said she, <laughs> she no, she's just really busy right now. She loves the show. She loves hearing me uh, yammer on about things because she does not get enough of it at home. But she loves uh, fire. She's a she loves birds, man. Oh, she birds. Loves, <laughs> That's what you're getting at. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys are the it. ones that said that bird watching was the new extreme sport of 2020. I didn't say extreme sport. I just said <laughs> a really wonderful hobby. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't use the word sport. <laughs> so what's on your content circuit, buddy? Well, one of the things that I uh, know you want to talk about is, I, and I saw this on Instagram. And when I saw it on Instagram, I saw that our mutual friend Mike liked it. Of course he did. Uh, he's an action sport aficionado. And then I sent it to our uh, group text, Kruba text. And uh, then you made a comment that is like pretty much the most amazing extreme sport you've ever seen. So I, we're going to share this YouTube video. It's a Red Bull sponsored athlete, which Red Bull does not mess around. Actually, I'm drinking a Red Bull right now at like 7.30 at night. Uh, Absolute insanity. This is the first Red Bull I've had in uh, in years for sure. And it feels great. We're gonna hear I'm, about Brett climbing a <laughs> climbing a tower and like a crane in Boulder. And he's like wakes up in the morning asleep out at the end of it. Red Bull is a is a heck of a thing. So um, this is I think it's Valentin Deluc. He's a I mean so I, I guess you'd call this speed, speed riding. Yeah. So he's a speed flyer and he's a skier and he's exceptionally good at both of those things and he combines this activity and this is somewhere in the alps um uh, some alpine resort avarias avarias I, I don't know i'm not familiar nailed with it just this. like i nailed <laughs> that <laughs> aboriginal name earlier but man this is absolutely unbelievable i've never seen anything like this and the video is just us uh, it, it's it's the coolest thing i've ever seen and we know a lot of you guys are extreme sports enthusiasts and probably skydivers also so there's a good chance you've already seen this but if you have not Definitely check the show notes. We'll share it. When I was watching this, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Mike about it. And I was like, well, what about this part? And then, oh, there's this really cool part. And then I realized like, oh, wait, I'm just saying every single scene of the <laughs> yeah, entire the entire video because every, every single clip like one-ups the thing before it. And the way he moves, what's so awesome about this is that it seems like the way a real life superhero would move. Yeah. Like he's got equipment kind of like, it's like Batman equipment. He has a way that he can go like 40 miles an hour or faster on skis, whatever you go on the snow. And then he can fly away from the ground and he's mixing those two things. Yeah. So he's like grinding the, the <laughs> chair the cables. Cable. Yeah. And then he flies like directly at a building and does like a wing over and drags his skis along the side of the building. And then he again, like lays the wing down sideways and flies the wing while he's skiing through a tunnel. Yeah. It's and just then he, and then he so reels good. he reels it in. See, we're just talking about every scene, scene by scene, scene by, by scene. scene. And then he does like a backflip and then whoosh, like throws it out into the wind. I've never seen anything like it. So good. Oh my god. How much how much Red Bull do you think he drank before doing that? Probably <laughs> zero i've heard those guys yeah. actually don't drink red bull yeah, they just drink water because they're athletes yeah they don't they don't put poison in their body <laughs> so i actually know um i know one of the athletes uh, amy chimalecki a skydiver yeah, and yeah she um i was talking to her once and she said that the way that they'll do those projects is 
the athletes will do like a proposal to Red Bull. Oh, and nice. so that's like part of being one of the Red Bull athletes is like you're constantly working on your next proposal. And so oh, I was thinking cool. about that when I watched that video about how he must have been plotting this line for like wow. months and months yeah. and putting a, a proposal like all of his intended tricks because it's a very specific. Yeah. They have like these like lucite panels on the wall so he doesn't damage the building so yeah. he's hitting in like these very specific spots super calculated yeah it's so good for sure i had the pleasure this is a long time ago but i i had a uh i think it was the rail jam back at the uh, uh prine bridge in twin falls idaho and uh, miles was there he's a red bull base jumping athlete and truly like <clears throat> these red bull athletes truly earn their uh their incredible reputation i mean this guy was like a jedi master of just his exits off the bridge and just like really cool like personality just like really friendly really inviting and inclusive to everybody but also just like uh super safety conscious but just a jedi master i mean totally next level uh athlete you know and miles dasher has been base jumping for God, I mean, I don't even, 20 years, maybe longer. Yeah. I remember he yeah. used to be part of like the Shane McConkey duo, basically yeah. Shane McConkey and Miles Dasher. And I Shane- he's still jumping too. Shane McConkey? No. No, <laughs> no I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, he, Miles he died in like a very high profile <laughs> yeah. ski base accident. But yeah, Miles Dasher is still jumping. And yeah. when I, you know, base jumping is, I've just seen so many people friends and acquaintances die base jumping and so when i think about base jumping i always think about like it's like a, a road that only ends in one place and then well we're all heading there anyway so indeed but the the objective is to it's kind of like covid you want your life expectancy to be longer yeah than than uh before covid came along how the the average death rate of covid is like 85 or something it's like yeah. the average death uh, average death age of a human is like 75. So it's like it actually ups your odds of living longer, it seems. Huh. But, uh, you know, you definitely want to enjoy these sports for as long as you can. And so whenever I hear somebody I know, it's like, oh, I'm getting to base jumping. It always like kind of like gets me in the heart, you know. But yeah. you see somebody like Miles Dasher that's still base jumping. It's just so impressive because that is a sport that has such a low tolerance for error. Yeah. And if you can survive and keep progressing it. I mean, you're just like such an exceptional human, I think. For sure. Yeah. And they are out there. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, so a couple, so we're going to share that a couple other things on, uh, my content circuit. I watched the den. I was going to ask you, <laughs> I, I really want to know your thoughts, but the first thing I want to know is, did you watch it on your iPhone? Or I watched your it on iPad? my laptop. Oh, your uh, yeah, your laptop. I watched it on my laptop. Like a true bed. contentologist. And uh, Brie was asking if I was okay because I like I get really sucked into horror movies, and it's why I don't love the genre because I I get scared easily. Like I am legitimately like I get the you know physiological symptoms of fear just watching a movie, even if I know it's not reality. Like I you know I just I can't help it. Like I get sucked in and I get scared. And this one was scary to me. It is very well done. <laughs> and the effect of watching it on. A computer or a mobile device is very good. It, yeah. it seems like you're actually watching captured yeah. oh, uh, for sure. webcam footage. I actually feel like the plot and the first 90% of the movie was scarier than the ending. I felt like something like jumped the shark or felt a little... Like it was very clever. It was a very clever ending. The ending is definitely a commentary. 
You think so? Yeah. Uh, okay. On voyeurism. Okay. Watch the movie, people, and you know what we're talking yeah. about. All right. That's what I thought. Like, they ba- it's basically like a well, straight-up horror movie until the last two minutes, and then you're like, then they, like, hit you with a message. So, I just, you know what? I meant to research this before the show, but I, I, I forgot, or I, I don't know, but... Have you ever looked into is there actually a market for like snuff films? I mean, when I was there? when I was young, I was like a total sick fuck. Yeah. And so I remember like when I was young watching like Faces of Death, and then there was like this other Rotten.com. Yeah, or like yeah. Consumption Junction I went before it just turned into straight porn. But uh I I remember being like kind of disturbed and obsessed with that idea. You know what really got me onto that idea was the movie Eight Millimeter? which is about I've seen a snuff film. It's a Nicolas Cage film. And it's just like, it's about a snuff film and about them researching it. And I think what's really sad about our world is that there's no reason to even make a snuff film because anyone with an internet connection has instant access to thousands, perhaps even millions of videos of people dying. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, obviously, and I've seen a few of those um, like, gang killings or um you know drug cartel Ugh, killings dude, but so disturbing but uh, uh, like that is different than uh, i think the concept of a snuff film or like an intentional thing yeah like an intentional made for you know some sort of like sick fetish fetish or you know some internet stranger that's going to pay money for it that's like, what eight millimeters is that real about. is that know. a real th- I, don't, I just i don't know there's something that was a little disconnected from reality at the end which is strange because the whole thing before that seemed extremely uh plausible and believable and voyeuristic and i mean it's good i really enjoyed it like i think it was the a good commentary sure. at the end is yeah. kind of just like a commentary on how sick we all are well about like <laughs> i mean like you take it back to porn it's like with the pornography industry it's you almost don't even think about these people as real people. You know, it's like that. It's just like, Hey, this is porn. This is people doing all this stuff on the internet and it's there for anyone to see. But then when you really start thinking about like, Oh, these people have lives and like either they're choosing to do this or there's some circumstances in their life that's leading them to doing this. And I think that's kind of what the commentary is of like, I guess you have to watch the film. We don't spoil it too much, but I think there are parallels between what happens at the end and like the pornography industry. Yeah. See, I have a different take on porn, which is why I've not really ever enjoyed it that much. It, I can't disconnect myself from reality. I always think about it being like real people. <laughs> like I just never have been able to well, like view it. That was it your fetish then. Like, <laughs> porn oh should God. be even better for you. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Let's talk about this more. The porn show. <laughs> Um, oh, so finally, my last content circuit, devs. Oh I, uh, my god! I watched the entire season in one day, uh, and uh, thank oh my god. Flip Six Three Hole, super fan of the show, yeah. for that recommendation for sure. He told us about that months before we ever got Hulu, yeah. and for some reason, I was just putting it off and putting it off. But that is—it's just like one of the yeah. the most densely packed, well written, and just like disturbing takes on now can reality. we can we discuss something about it and it it is a spoiler what spoiler do you think? alert hey, this is our show okay spoiler alert devs the one thing that i didn't like is that they created this very strict rule for this universe this like rule of determinism where they could you know track every particle and use quantum mechanics and like a simulation engine to 
look into the past, look into the future. And then they broke their own rule by saying this person was capable of making a choice. And it was the first time in history. Well, I, I did not like, where are they going with that? Or are there, I heard there might not be a second season. I don't know. Something about that did not sit well with it me. Seemed I didn't it seemed a little shoehorned in yeah, at okay. the end. Okay, I was like, oh, original sin. Like somebody, one of the characters said that original sin. She made the first choice ever. And I was like, I was so on board with that show, except for that one decision. And I was, I was hoping it had a point, but we're, we may never know if it did. I think the point was to end the season at eight episodes. Okay. <laughs> they had to wrap it up. God, everything else about it was so amazing. The computer looked so good, the concept of it. And actually, I'm listening to an episode on Sam Harris. Like he's big on this. Um, theory that we do not have free will and he talks about like we do have the ability of choice but like you're you can't choose your genes you can't choose what uh economic these status genes out. <laughs> very nice that's a good pun <laughs> yeah but i mean he so good there is uh he's not a fatalist but there is like a he has a deterministic argument where like if you make a certain choice we have this illusion of free will and he says if you were to return that person 10 minutes in the past with everything else being equal, all the neurons in your head, all the air particles in the same place, you would make the same decision an infinite number of times because that's the decision you made the first time. And so everything remaining the same, like free he's will. He's a very smart guy too. I don't know. I it's he's I he really he wrote a whole book on free will being an illusion, which I haven't read, but well, they have a cool take in there of like choice or the illusion of choice is all just data. And if you can process enough data, you can see where every thread leads. Right. And that's kind of like, you know, what their determinism machine is. Right. But I've, I, I really liked the idea, even though it, you said it seemed a little bit like a cop out, but I like the idea of a character knowing the future and then seeing if they could make a choice. Right. Exactly. That's where I, I thought maybe they could go, but then I, I don't know. It's like all they were watching their own technology and looking into the future with their own technology and they couldn't seem to make a choice, but maybe they just believe they can't change it. What's interesting is her choice, self-fulfilling prophecy, like her choice ended up with the same result. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. I feel a little bit better about it. It was a great (laughs) show. I'm glad I could convince you. (laughs) Hey, the content clearinghouse works. (laughs) It does. So it's on your content circuit. That was a long one, but that was a long one, but that's good. That's what the show is about. Yeah. Great content. Devs is great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it is. So I, this is the second time I've seen this movie. I've been kind of like on a movie kick lately. For a while, I was not doing movies. I was doing shows and books and everything else. So now I'm kind of inundated with movies. Nice. But uh, that's a lot of watching on my phone at night, two in the morning in bed. Yeah. And if you got a problem with that, we're the contentologists. You can't say we're doing it wrong. <laughs> that's right. We invented this entire degree of contentology. That's true. So there's this, uh, It's uh, this is on Prime. It's called Backcountry. Okay. And it's a, uh, so it's a fictionalized retelling of the Mark Jordan and Jacqueline Perry story. There are these Canadian backpackers that were attacked by a bear in Canada. And this movie is, I mean, this is not like a revenant kind of like classy bear attack. Yeah. This is like horrifying, like ripping half of your face off and your lips hanging down over your chin bear attack. You're really, you're really getting graphic tonight. First I'm, with the guts that the raptors were ripping out and I like, the lips hanging off. I like descriptive gore, but it is, you know, it's 
I've had a few times in my life where I've had like these massive adrenaline spikes where it's like your heart starts racing and you like break out into a cold sweat, like your pupils get huge and you just have like, you realize like, oh, I'm kind of living second to second right now based on the decisions and maybe some things that are out of my control, yeah. like circumstances happening in the next few seconds. <laughs> and the depiction of the bear attack in this film, it is that like you you can't help but put yourself into the position of these guys when this bear attack happens. And it is like one of the scariest animal attacks I've ever seen on screen. Wow. Backcountry on Prime. Very good. I'll check that out. What are some of the events that caused you to have that much of a visceral reaction to them? Um, so I was in a car wreck when I was, I think I was like 20 years old. I was in Texas. I was driving down a one-way street. So it's like a 35 mile an hour road and the car in front of me slams on their brakes. And you know, like when you almost get into a car wreck, you like stop. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God. Oh, that was so close. So glad that didn't ruin my day. Well, as soon as that thought went through my mind, the guy in front of me swerved off into a turn lane and that coming from the other direction was like this F two fifty pickup truck going the wrong way. And my only, it was basically like his headlights were filling my entire wind windshield. And I just, I just said, shit. And I turned my head sideways. And I, at that mo- moment, like all of that adrenaline spiked and everything. And I went through like basically all of the stages of, of grief. You know, it's like I was, I was bargaining and I was angry and all this stuff. And then almost immediately I just accepted like, Oh, I guess like we're all going to die right now. And then Jeez. the car, the truck hit us. All the airbags go off, windshield like collapses in, the windows shatter, <laughs> and the airbags deployed so effectively that I almost I didn't even move like an inch in my seat. It was just like wow. forward, backwards, like a, a micrometer <laughs> scientologist. And then how, what, how many uh, micrometers are in a kilometer? Uh, a jillion. Uh, yeah. Would it be a thousand, a, a jillion, thousand? Right. So is that a million? It's a jillion. It's a jillion. Okay. So I basically like all the sound went away and then it came, and then it slowly like started ringing back in my ears. And then I could hear like, you know, like the engine, like tick, 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 tick. And then there's like the sound of like fluid shooting everywhere and there's people yelling and everything. And I got out and this was like one of those moments where like, oh, the, the parent lifted the car up you know, off their baby. But yeah. I, the, the passenger side door was jammed and my girlfriend was in the passenger side and I basically like ripped the door off, like unjammed it. And she had like big bruises across her chest and everything from the, the seatbelt. My buddy in the back seat, he was not wearing a seatbelt, which I'm just so religious about that now in my car, but he got ejected. He put his chin up. He hit the windshield. Or he hit the uh, the dashboard, and then got shot back into the back seat. And the Wait, back seat he, had so been he went from the back seat all the way up front to the, to the dashboard, dashboard, and then back to and the then back, back seat. Yeah. So he like pinballed, and the back seat was kind of crumpled into like a ninety degree bend. And amazingly, like none of us were injured. And then the guy who hit us, he was he was doing, I think. 55, 60 miles an hour. It was like 85, 90 mile an hour closing speed, this head on wow. this head on collision. And he tried to run off. He was like a, uh, I guess he, I, I don't know who he was, but 
Uh, I think one of the guys. Senator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the guys there at the scene said that he was like he didn't have a license or something. So uh-huh. he tried to leave. The guy that was in front of us that almost got hit like grabbed him, held him there till the police got there. And then that guy, he once he made sure we were all fine, he's like, hey, man, I own a car dealership. Here's my card. I was like, dude, this is not the time, but give me that card. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the perfect time to try to sell somebody a car. <laughs> hey, buddy, looks like you need a new car there. I was. <laughs> it's all smashed. Yeah. I was uh, very susceptible to influence <laughs> yeah. at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, man, it was crazy. That Back was country. one of those moments. Yeah. Well, anything else on your circuit? That's it. You didn't rewatch Devs again? Nope. I just finished it about the same time you did. Nice. Very nice. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we will come back, and we will get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, <laughs> what? your hair is looking good, buddy. I have weatherman hair today. You do. It's true. I, I was thinking about that on the way over here. It's something about taking my skydiving helmet off and on a couple times. Seeing you in <laughs> high definition without our Zoom oh freezing up. It's I know. It's really and a lagging. treat. It, it really is. It's it, This is the, the fastest buffering rate possible. It's, it's perfect. Yes. Speaking of a real treat, what kind of content you got for us? Oh, nice segue. So uh, you you actually inspired this, and unfortunately, you guessed this correctly, what I'm going to talk about. Um, but I'm still going to start it off in a mysterious fashion, like you have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. That's the format of the show. So Josh, hear me out here. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina. What do these things have in common with the lighthearted and hilarious television show that I'm discussing? We're going to get serious for a second. This incredible show was repeatedly snubbed at the Emmy Awards, winning zero Emmys after 16 nominations. Just like the coronavirus. It, it is truly one of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century. And you may think oh, wow. I'm being facetious. No, I but... don't. <laughs> so today I'm talking about, uh, thanks to you and your recommendation of Devs and Nick Offerman, um, I'm talking about one of my favorite shows, Parks and Recreation. Absolute favorite pieces of content from the Casa de Content Clearing. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, a bilingual show. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, if there ever was a show that deserves to be recognized for its comedic genius, it is Parks and Rec. And if there's ever an actor who deserves recognition for their contribution to the content verse, it's Amy Poehler for her role as... Leslie Nope. Do you know anything about Parks and Rec? You know what I know about it? What do you know? The homework you sent me to watch. <laughs> okay. I watched Patton Oswald's eight-minute filibuster. <laughs> I won't be scene. talking about that. It's so good. <laughs> That's all I know about it. But you know, this is kind of like um this is kind of like Always Sunny, and it's kind of uh-huh. like The Office. You, hear, These are all you things, get this recommendation a lot. Well, they've they've all been kind of like 
yeah, kind of floating around and they're things that I like never got around to, which yeah. I know though all three of those are like giant holes in my content circuit that I should be ashamed of myself. But like I said earlier, I'm <laughs> the contentologist here. I'm making the rules. That's right. There's no shame. There's no shame allowed here. I still qualify. Um, the, uh, you know, it's always sunny after I did that episode. And I feel like this was, I mean, weeks, if not months ago, I started rewatching. It's always sunny. I think I'm up to season nine now or no, I think I'm on season 10, but I'm rewatching like 15 seasons and it's taken me this long, just like watching it here and there when I do the dishes or when I'm falling asleep at night. But I like, I have to see this through. It's like your, <laughs> it's always sunny is like your, my, the lost fleet, right? The 18 book series that I've on, I think I'm on my fourth read through right now. You know, parks and rec might actually be my lost fleet because I've seen it all the way through twice and I will rewatch the whole thing again. I absolutely love this show. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like <clears throat> I've told some people that, about Lost Fleet that oh yeah this is the third time I've read this and look at me like I'm insane like like once you finish a piece of content it should just be gone but I think that there are certain things like the Lost Fleet or like Parks and Rec or Always Sunny things that just like speak to you as like a perfect piece of content that yeah when it starts to dole in my mind like I want to re up it because <laughs> yeah. there there's a reason why I've read 18 books. Yeah. Now for the fourth time. Right. It's because it like just speaks to all my sensibilities. Yeah. And you know, for, for me, Parks and Rec brings like a certain type of comfort. Like it's, it's, uh, and the office too. Like I've, wa- I've watched the office for like the second time during like a difficult period in my, in my life. Chicken noodle soup for your content it, circuit. Sure. But better. It's not garbage. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about those yeah, it's books. Not I won't shitty malign Shitty water with stuff floating in it. <laughs> exactly. I like soup. <laughs> Just don't like chicken chicken soup for the soul books. Well, uh, you know, this this Emmy snub, I got to get into this. I mean, year after year, perennial nominee Amy Poehler was awarded with a whole lot of nothing. And I am not alone in my despair for this horrifying oversight. Is she the writer? Like she, creator of the show? No, um, she, I mean she did help develop the character of Leslie Nope, uh, Michael Shore, and I'll be talking a little bit about it too. But he he was kind of the mastermind behind The Office and a very funny writer, um, and he's kind of the the brains behind Parks and Rec. But well, you know I'm trying to get to who the writer is because I'm a habitual gun jumper. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So uh, in an Entertainment Weekly article by Mark Snedeker. Creator of Parks and Rec, Michael Schur calls Amy Poehler's lack of Emmys one of the great Hollywood tragedies. Uh, and the Black Dahlia happened in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What was the uh, the the stabbing that was portrayed in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with uh, Oh uh, the Manson murders? Yeah, the Manson murders. Yeah, this this is definitely worse. Is than way that. worse than that. Yeah. Uh, Parks and Rec co-star Rashida Jones was confounded by the lack of Emmy nomination for Best Comedy after the 2012 season and said the Parks and Rec Emmy snub makes Emmy voters look crazy. The Daily Beast published an article in 2015 called Justice for Amy Poehler, exclamation point, colon, the biggest Emmys snubs and surprises. Uh, Yes, the stellar comedy Veep was deserving of best comedy that year, but senior entertainment reporter Kevin Fallon points out, what kind of world do we live in when Amy Poehler doesn't have an Emmy Award? A shitty one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. The, the kind of world where birds burn things. <laughs> you fun. mean the real world? <laughs> where they rip their Welcome to the real world, Amy Poehler. <laughs> 
And if the Emmys could give a farewell Emmy to John Hamm, couldn't they have resisted giving Julia Louise Dreyfus her fourth straight Emmy for Veep and handed it just once to Polar instead? Why didn't Julia Louis Dreyfus just do that? Like I've already yeah. got three of these. Yeah, exactly. Do a uh, reverse Kanye West. Do a handoff. <laughs> <laughs> these, Josh, are the mind-blowing injustices we are dealing with as a society today. And as one of only two board-certified contentologists, I feel that it is my personal responsibility to do what I can to make things right. Right to your senator. Uh, well, I, I figured out a different way to oh, address this. Something um, more practical. Well, I, th- this is a very special episode of the Content Clearinghouse, and I'm going to rectify these wrongs. But first, let's talk about the show. So Parks and Recreation, or as it's more commonly called, Parks and Rec, is a political satire sitcom created in the mockumentary series style, made uh, famous probably mostly by The Office. Uh, first the British version and then the American version. I have, I'm have i a fan of both. Do you have any thoughts on The Office? Are you an Office guy? Well, it's I, I've only seen like a few episodes and clips here and there. I noticed like your, like your preferences lean <laughs> towards comedy. A lot more do than they? mine do. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of think of myself as like a jovial guy, but. With... <laughs> You've talked about snuff films a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just a realist. But I, it's, it's really interesting how like our content preferences diverge. Like you, this might be like what the third or fourth comedy that you brought to the show. Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel like I have diversified taste, but, uh, uh, I see your point. It's just I, interesting. Yeah, I do. I, I like things. So I, I love The Office. I was a big fan. I feel like uh, the British version was like the first to really make me understand like that awkward type of humor that is like making you uncomfortable. Um, the Americanized version of The Office definitely was not as British in that way. Um, I will say as my personal preference, Parks, Parks and Rec is like a more superior version of that. But I think it's important to talk about him because Parks and Rec was created by Greg Daniels and Michael Shore, uh, the writers, producers, and the masterminds behind The Office. Um, and since this is a good opportunity to get some of The Office comparisons out of the way, the first seasons of both The Office and Parks and Rec received mixed reviews. <clears throat> both shows seem to be in a bit of an exploratory phase at the beginning. They're trying to figure out just the nature of the characters and the dynamic of the cast. Um, they should have done what we did and just scrap their first eight episodes. Yeah, I don't know if it works that way when <laughs> they're spending like millions of dollars to produce these pilots. Um, and this is one of these shows, uh, whether I'm recommending The Office or Parks and Rec, which I've recommended both of these shows to numerous people, but I always tell them, just make it through the first season. Like you don't want to miss the first season because the the payoff eventually is worth not missing any of that character development early on. But both freshman seasons are really awkward. They're not good. Um, like most freshmen, definitely. You told me the same thing with Always Sunny. You're like you just skip season one. Did I? Yeah. I, don't skip uh, the first season of Parks and Rec. But honestly, I mean. Both with the office and with uh, Parks and Rec, they it found their they found their stride. They both received critical acclaim, commercial success, and they both achieved status as cult classics. Um, a couple more comparisons between uh, Office and Parks and Rec: Steve Carell as Michael Scott. He was the driving force and the comedic glue of the Office cast. 
uh, actor, comedian, and former SNL star Amy Poehler is really the Michael Scott in this situation. I mean, she's really the shining light of uh, Parks and Rec and holds together the wonderful cast members as well as the entire fictional town of Pawnee, Indiana. (laughs) Uh, One more similarity here. Steve Carell has also never won an Emmy, even after six nominations for The Office. Oh, man. He's so amazing, too. I know. So good. Like his dramatic turn. Have you seen Foxcatcher? No, but I want to, watching commercials for that made me uncomfortable. He see, and that's uh, what's the dude that takes his clothes off and dances? Uh, Mike uh, Brett Chisholm. My, <laughs> that's <laughs> God. Do that one time, and now you're that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Magic Mike guy. What's his name? The Hunk. Oh, uh, Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Yeah. Thank you. The Hunk. <laughs> I got a he was encyclopedic right? uh, list of all the sexy <laughs> all men who've taken their clothes off in movies. <laughs> men with abs. Um, was Foxcatcher good? It was a true it was story, really good, too. Yeah. All right. I'll add it to the list. And he's, I mean, it's just <laughs> awesome to see, like, I, I always just think of Steve Carell as, like, the 40-year-old virgin. It's the first right. thing I ever saw him in. And then in that movie, he's just, like, such a disturbing weirdo creep. And it, it you know, just, like, really shows his acting chops. Well, another uh, show, have you or a movie, uh, The Big Short? Oh yeah, it's great, dude. Steve Carell is fantastic in that, and I got to rewatch that again because it's a uh, GameStop. Uh, Here we go. Uh, parallel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife says every time I open Reddit on my phone. I am not yet a gorillionaire, which is what gorillas <laughs> call themselves when they reach a million. Hey, a good pun from Brett now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I stole it from the internet, but I'll take it. Uh, so back to Parks and Rec. So the show ran from 2009 to 2015 uh, with actually one additional COVID special airing on April 30th in 2020. It was on NBC. It featured the whole cast reuniting via this Zoom-esque. Uh, it's actually not unlike uh, The Den, the horror movie. Uh, there's just a lot less murder. But the episode... So got all the good parts. <laughs> yeah. No snuff. Uh, they, the episode helped raise money for feeding America's COVID-19 response fund, as well as providing additional assistance for food banks around the country. And I actually watched this episode live while I was holed up at my dad's house in the mountains. And this is, I was on total lockdown. I mean, this was when things were really kicking off and it was really cool to see one of my favorite shows get this weird, like quasi reality meshing treatment and do something positive for society Besides just entertaining me. So was it like they were all on a Zoom call in character? Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And I mean, that's truly the power of this show is like there is a little bit of a positive social um, mission, I guess you could say. I don't know. I kind of think of that because I have spent some time volunteering for different state parks and different states, actually, in both Utah and Colorado. So it always makes me think of this show and kind of like behind the scenes sort of things. Do you have any like clever comedy gold moments happening when you're out there um, digging holes and like Bree's <laughs> directing you what to do? We did She's prank, your boss. We did prank at uh, a state park in Colorado. Um, we did prank one of the park managers that was actually leaving. He was getting transferred and we like he has like a you know big cop truck with like cop lights and all the fixings if you will and and uh, we like filled it up with balloons and like set it up God, all this stuff it. and I don't know it was uh, like people that watch The Office their their office 
at their boring nine to five is never going to be as funny as Steve Carell doing hilarious bits. And I imagine no uh, parks department anywhere in the country is going to be as funny as Amy Poehler, the professional comedian. Well, you don't have a staff of comedy writers (laughs) scripting your pranks. That's true. Uh, So Parks and Rec. Maybe it'll be in the budget next year. (laughs) Yeah, that comes out of my tax dollars. So I (laughs) hope that's not a priority. Well, it might be in the next COVID relief fund. <laughs> another another $2.9 trillion dollars <laughs> yeah, towards, a, towards <laughs> a staff of writers. State park related pranks. I Yeah. I uh, Let's just keep our fingers crossed. Our money's going to better, better things. Brett, you know it's not. Anyways, <laughs> back to the show. So Parks and Rec follows Leslie Nope. She's the deputy director of the Parks and Recreation Department in Pawnee. Uh, she's this mid-level bureaucrat with oodles of optimism and a true desire to help improve her little town. And we see her undertake these various projects and events, uh, including this dream that's kind of this long arc storyline uh, that she wants to turn this abandoned construction site into a community park. Um, unfortunately, her and her department get constantly wrapped up in all the red tape and budgetary concerns, old out-of-touch politicians, uh, insane citizens and other various challenges that seem all too possible in real life. And one of my favorite examples of this, it's in uh, season three, episode three. Is it Will Fort or Will, Will Forte? I think you it's know, Forte. For, is it Forte? Yeah, last man on earth. Yeah, exactly. So he guest stars as a man who passionately argues for including the Twilight books in the Pawnee time capsule. <laughs> he ends up, oh, God. He ends up Not hank. a contentologist. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, he ends up handcuffing himself to a pipe in Leslie's office. And um, I mean, just on that vein, one of the best things about this show, in my opinion, are the town ca- council meetings. It's obvious this show. I mean, it's a parody of real life things being taken to the extreme for comedic purposes. But there is an undercurrent of believability with these town canc- councils that are really poking fun at us, the general public. And you know I love being the butt of jokes. It's kind of your jam. It's like it's, like, it's kind of like your weatherman hair. It's just it, part of you. It's just <laughs> I'm, I'm the Huey of Hollywood, or whatever you say about me. Oh yeah, Brett's your Holly. You know Huey from the Boys is Hollywood's Brett. My my friend um, that went tan of sky on her first tan of skydive today, Alex. She actually texted me out of the blue recently because she's watching the Boys. She said. You look just like Huey. Hollywood's Brett. She said something about can't wait to watch Huey have sex with Starlight or something. I was like, wow. It was a funny text. Maybe she's got a little thing for Brett's weatherman hair. I don't think so. (laughs) This this Red Bull's making me feel a little flushed in the face. Saying Um, all kind of crazy stuff. So another great town council meeting in the show is when Patton Oswald guest stars as Garth Blunden, a lonely yet passionate Pawnee citizen determined to prevent Leslie Nope from removing outdated laws from the town charter. In his quest for preservation, Oswald's character launches into an epic filibuster that res- revolves around the Star Wars and Marvel cinematic universes. <laughs> That's the one I watched. So good. Yes, this is this was your pre-episode homework. Um, I urge any content fans to check this out, even if you haven't seen Parks and Rec or you have. Now, this... We'll share it in the show notes. Definitely. Um, this this was filmed back in 2013, so there had only been one Avengers film, and uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens had not even be, been released. 
And Patton Oswald completely improvised this rant and he solidified himself in the Parks and Rec Hall of Fame forever. Um, what so, I love about that scene yeah. is at the end, at the eight minutes, he's like, he's like, oh, my mouth is drying. <laughs> yeah. You can tell he did it all in one take. Just yeah, like oh, for sure. Off, off top. He was just off topping it. Well, I'm going to link um, an article in the show notes too from The Observer by Brandon Katz. Uh, he interviewed Patton Oswald about this rant seven years later. And uh, the video we're going to share in this article, I mean, it includes the unedited rant. This did not, sh- you know, they showed like a <laughs> clip more. of it in the episode of Parks and Rec, but this was, you know, the full take unedited. Um, it's basically every dream that people <laughs> like you and I had when we heard that, really Mar- that Disney had purchased Marvel and Star right. Wars. It's like, well, now they can do all these crossovers in the X-Men. It was like a red, there. it was a Red Bull fueled fever dream for sure. <laughs> Uh, but it's truly incredible. So all that was in the script was just Garth starts to begin to filibuster. They literally just told him, you can do whatever you want to do. It was supposed to be 10 seconds of Pat Oswald starting a filibuster. And then they just basically decided to not say cut and just see what happens <laughs> and how long he goes. And Oswald tells a story in the article um, when they didn't stop him after 10 seconds. He did not want to seem unprofessional because he was a guest star on the show and he said he's sort of just panicked and locked in and started dumping every bit of Star Wars and pop culture trivia he had in his brain and mixing it with X-Men and Marvel. So it was not hilarious. Written. Not written at all. <laughs> it's so Made good. up on the spot. I <laughs> See, I assumed that he probably had like n- notes or an outline of what he wanted. Nothing. Oh, man, that makes it so Nothing. much better. He thought it was going to be 10 seconds, a 10-second take where he just starts to say something, but they just didn't stop him and they just all improvised. And this, I, I mean, this is the beauty of the show. Now, is that clip from the show, does it keep the part at the end where he says that his mouth is going dry? No. That's it. That's no, an I think if I remember correctly, it's just like a couple of snippets of like that whole, but, but it's worth, you know, I mean, obviously. I bet their outtakes are great. I bet they have so many improvised. Uh, like, oh, I'm going to talk about that. Like line <laughs> variants. I mean, this is a great segue for, uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk about, why why I think it's such a great show and what I think makes it such a great show. Yes, there's a lot of positive attributes. I mean, it's a comedy about a local government that is in charge of parks. That's a fresh idea. Uh, The writing of Michael Shore is next level. He's like a comedy savant. But the secret recipe, in my opinion, it's something I've mentioned before while talking about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but it truly seems like the cast is having the time of their lives making this show. And when they're having fun, something really genuine shows through, and I just have fun watching it. It must make this show great, too, because I love making this show with you. Yeah, this is the highlight of my week, Just improvise that short filibuster. Oh, you didn't write that ahead of time? (laughs) Actually, it says in here, say nice thing to Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I'm glad you were thinking about me when you were making your outline. <laughs> uh, my proof for this claim is also really fun to watch. It is Parks and Rec blooper reels. Perfect. I, there are tons of blooper reels from behind the scenes that you can find on YouTube. I have watched all of them multiple times. Uh, seeing Nick Offerman, Aziz Ansari, Chris Pratt trying to out fart each other while on set <laughs> is hilarious. Um, so it's Chris like Pratt. Step Brothers. The best part of the movie Step Brothers is the outtakes. Yeah. That's and that's like what you get like I I would really expect nothing less with Pat Oswalt. He's like right. just a like one of the world's greatest comedians if you just like let him go. 
Just like you're going to get gold. I mean, this this whole stuff you cast, couldn't write. This whole cast is like basically a bunch of genius comedians just having fun together. That seems awesome. So one of one of the best outtakes. Um, so Chris Pratt shows up for this scene where um, he's and it's early. I think it's in season one. It's early on in the show, but he shows up. Um, and I think it's at Rashida Jones character's house, but Leslie Nope answers the door and he's supposed to be naked, but behind the scenes, you find out that he decided to do this actually naked and you see Amy Poehler's genuine expression of like shock, uh, (laughs) of Chris Pratt showing up naked. And that is the take that they actually include in the episode. Um, now I have to add Chris Pratt to my Rolodex of sexy yeah. men whose abs have been shown in movies. Now, this was pre-ab Chris Pratt, which is, which is even better. That's nice. I don't have to update my Rolodex then. I mean, dude, this is... If you're a Chris Pratt fan at all, like this is another reason to watch Parks and Rec. I mean, he's definitely one of the troublemakers of the cast. Uh, he consistently ad-libs jokes that you can see in these uh, blooper reels just to make people laugh, to, just to ruin takes, it seems like. <laughs> so funny, too. He is hilarious. I mean, didn't he like start getting into shape for like Zero Dark Thirty or something before that? He was I think it was like, Zero Dark Thirty. Slovenly. Oh, for sure. Dude, he's like, just like a chubby like slob slacker in man that uh, really Parks changed his life <laughs> yeah, for a superhero it's funny to see them try to like explain away how he just has like massive gains <laughs> all of a sudden and he's oh, just like happens. yeah I cut down on beer or something you know in the run of the show yeah nice yep um actually uh i didn't put this in my outline but um another interesting be- behind the scenes i think it was an interview with michael sure and the writers of the show were actually kind of mad i think facetiously mad at chris pratt for this one joke that he ad-libbed that the writer said it's better than any joke that they had written for the show (laughs) but he's trying to look up some of uh leslie nope's um symptoms because she was like getting some kind of sickness and he gets on the computer and he's like uh leslie it says you have internet connectivity issues (laughs) And I've heard about that. He ad-libbed this joke. That joke has made it into my yeah. lexicon, and I've never even watched the show. I've, I've definitely seen Parks that before. Parks and Gold. So another one of these jokes that did not make it in the show, but this was a behind-the-scenes blooper reel once again. It's actually a little bit infamous. I'm not going to repeat the joke. It is an off-color joke about Kim Kardashian, but it it's so well-known that if you Google like Chris Pratt, Kim Kardashian joke. There are literally hundreds of results and dozens of articles about this. Oh, man, I'm going to look that it's, up. I'm going <laughs> to link that to the show notes. I, I It's in season four blooper, uh, the season four blooper reel, so I'll definitely link that. Speaking of Chris Pratt, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this cast. This show literally features some of the most famous actors and comedians before they catapulted to A-list stardom. Yeah, everybody knows who Rob Lowe is, but Nick Offerman was not exactly a big star before Parks and Rec, and now you see him everywhere. I didn't even know he existed until last week. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I mean, Chris Pratt, forget Jurassic Park. I mean, this is freaking Star-Lord, man. But also forget those Jurassic Park movies because they suck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't hate them. I like Ron Howard's. I like, uh, what's Ron Howard's daughter's name? I like her. Um, What is her name? We'll look it up real something, quick. Something, something, Howard. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> you nailed it. Ron Howard, daughter. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. That's it. I like her in Jurassic Park. I like Chris Pratt. She's I, an awesome Black Mirror episode, too. Oh, yeah. Like, so one good. of the, the most disturbing. The best. Down Spiral or whatever yeah. it is. 
Yeah. Or spiral, whatever. Can't even can't even rent an apartment because you don't have enough likes on Facebook. Man. Yeah. We're heading that way, folks. So if you're an MCU fan or you're a Gardens of the Galaxy fan, but you have not seen Parks and Rec, you are definitely in for a treat. I mean, seeing this chubby, good-natured, slightly idiotic slacker Andy Dwyer played by uh, Star-Lord before he was Star-Lord, it's freaking awesome, man. Um, Aziz Ansari, obviously he was known a little bit in the stand-up comedy world, but he definitely wasn't as well-known as he is now because of Parks and Rec. Aubrey Plaza, same thing. Oh, dude, I love her. to fame. She's awesome. She basically plays herself. Have you seen the new Child's Play movie? I have not. She, I've heard it's very good. It is awesome. It is <laughs> way better than it has any right to be. I never watched Child's Play yeah. growing up. So I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever, <laughs> ever heard of. But the new one, like, they just kind of embrace all the stupid things about it, and they just roll, like, it's part of the story. It yeah. is really good. She's the star. I'm going to have to check that out. She's fantastic. So Rashida Jones, I don't know if you're familiar with Rashida Jones, but now she's maybe not quite reached Star-Lord levels of fame in the consciousness of the mainstream, but as a Pixar fan and as a jazz fan, it's really cool to see the daughter of Quincy Jones doing such amazing things, not just as an actor, but also a writer and a producer. Rashida Jones co-wrote Toy Story 4 and also produced the documentary Quincy about her father, which debuted on Netflix and won the Grammy Award for Best Music Film in 2019. Wow. Is she the actress in I Love You, Man? Uh, Paul Rudd and um, Jason Segel, I think his name is. uh, I think she is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. Contentology at work, people. She's been in a lot of good stuff, for sure. So many amazing people. So many, many amazing jokes. So many amazing moments. Josh, this series has provided me with more than just laughter and treasured content memories. This show has brought me literally countless hours of comfort. Like a blanket or a hug. Chicken noodle soup for your content circuit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which brings me to where I started. I would like to present Parks and Recreation with the first ever Bready Award <laughs> for its outstanding achievements. It's like a little in gold world statue of content. With a weatherman hairdo. <laughs> Looks just like Huey. <laughs> the excellent and iconic characters, <laughs> the overt optimism and subtle brilliance, and the not so subtle subtle stereotyping of the general populace being a bunch of idiots makes this television cult classic the well-deserved winner for the Brady Award. And Josh, I don't want to get into a pissing contest with other so-called awards or prizes, but I would just like to point out that the Nobel Prize has been passed out 603 times (laughs) and the Brady Award only once. That is very (laughs) real. That's a real thing. So congratulations, Parks and Rec, and thank you for making my life Better, brighter, and more fun. Here's the Brady Award. <laughs> I- <laughs> oh, 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 I'm Parks and Rec. Yeah. Wow. We've been snubbed so many times. It took a made-up award <laughs> to finally get us the respect we deserve. I, they're going to be so thrilled to hear about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll tweet them out. Yeah. I, we, I don't have a Twitter, do you? You'll have to start one. Okay. <laughs> well, that's what I got for you. That's Parks and awesome. Recreation. Yeah, I love it. It's very interesting seeing our different takes on content because I've known you for so long and I always 
I just feel like with all my friends, I feel like I'm so similar to these people, but also like, you know, everyone's an individual and <laughs> you have your, you have your differences, but it's just so interesting to think about like, cause you've consistently brought content that a lot of it I've never seen or read. And it's just awesome to have like a, a completely different point of view and exposure. And you, you've shown me a bunch of stuff that I'd never watched before, like community and oh, uh, community is so always good. sunny. And now I'm going to need to watch parks and rec. Definitely. And I just, I just love that take. And it's cool to see that how much like mirth plays a role in your life. What is mirth? Just like joy and happiness. Joy? Yeah. You seem like a genuinely happy person. Would I think mirth like you're... be uh, synonymous with levity? Sure. Why not? Okay. If you want to get all all uh, synonym <laughs> yeah. about it. But yeah, that's great, man. Um, I'm going to have to check this out for sure. Yeah. Once again, my content circuit is just extending beyond the reaches of what one man can consume. Do we need to like... <clears throat> Do we need to set like a target date or like 2025? We just go on a year sabbatical and just watch all the content that we've that uh, exists. <laughs> Dude, we're gonna have to. We're definitely gonna have to plug into the matrix. Sorry, kids, that. you're gonna have to raise yourself. Daddy has to watch all the content <laughs> that exists this year. Do you remember when um, Andy Samberg? Uh, he like hosted the MTV choice award no maybe it was actually maybe he hosted like the golden globes or something but he had like a whole bit a whole song about uh coming out of a bunker and streaming binge watching every show available (laughs) if not that was really good he's got so many classic golden moments in his comedy that i feel like i've probably missed 90 percent of them but it was the Emmys in 2015. Oh, I'm going to link to this in the show. That's perfect. Once we wrap this up, you and I are going to watch this together and we're going to laugh because it's true, folks. We do enjoy hanging out together. We do. Us getting to record this episode in person has definitely been like one of the funnest things I've done in a while. Well, should we go uh, ride some one wheels up, uh, outside? I think we should. Tear Let's up wrap your, this uh, thing up. <laughs> tear up your uh, pavement out there. Let's do it. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at the Content Clearinghouse. We have a Discord channel now. You can find a link in the show notes. Email us those comments at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. And keep listening. We're going to keep bringing you guys our best recommendations for content that exists. Thanks so much, everybody. We love you guys. Bye.